Dreadfuls. This is episode 10 of Left for Dread, and Chris and I have a surprise. A super spoopy surprise. We have our first special guest host, Starla. Woo! Yay! I've been literally so excited about this since Chris, like, birthed the idea. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this. Oh, was it such an honor to, such an honor to be invited, guys? I really appreciate it. It's a, it's an honor and a privilege, cause uh, shockingly, I the, the the amount of friends I have or who are horror fans is very very small. But Starla was in, it was all the way in, into the horror. That's how we we, we first. Uh, well, that's like a huge part of our our, our friendship. Our um, which has been going on for forever. And yeah, so welcome to the show, Starla. Thanks, Chris. So so Starla, <laughs> yeah. so Starla, one of the big reasons why we really wanted you on the show is because you are a huge fan of zombies. And our, our topic for today is such an amazing zombie film. You, you know it. You, you love it. It's Train to Busan and Soul Station. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. One of my favorites. My mind was completely fucking blown by this movie. I mean, by both of them, but really Train to Busan. So, so Starless, since you're our special guest host and you're our, a super professional on zombies, um, not to bury the lead, but you also wrote something very, very cool about zombies, which we'll talk about later in the episode, but... Uh, uh, give us a quick uh, rundown about your history with horror and, and zombies in particular. Sure. So I've really, it's funny because when I when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to watch scary movies. I was pretty sheltered in that sense. And I think one of the first movies I remember is Dawn of the Dead. The, um, I think, what was it, 2003, 2004 remake. That with Zack Snyder. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that movie was terrible. Like the little girl coming in when the couple is sleeping in the bed and she's a zombie. That was terrifying to me. And I'm actually really, really scared of zombies. Every time I do like a haunted house, anything like that, terrified. My brother will chase me around the house pretending to be a zombie. And uh, But I, I'm also fascinated. I get my hands on anything I can dealing with the zombie genre. And so, you know, Walking Dead, the graphic novels, you know, Fear the Walking Dead, any type of literature, World War Z, I read that way before the movie came out. And um, yeah, I did a, a, what was it, a Walker Stalker Con where I advertised my book, and Chris, you and I did a zombie walk in Maryland, like, pretty much obsessed with zombies, and then I obviously wrote a book, um, and I'm working on the second book for this, uh, trilogy dealing with a zombie apocalypse, so that's kind of how it all started and has continued on in, in the last decade or so, I'd say. Excellent, and uh, you and your and your husband are super huge horror aficionados. You know, you've you've probably seen like every single horror movie ever, uh, and uh, a co- like a couple times when we were hanging out, we had like sleepovers. We were watching horror movies together, so it's so yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, Chris, you make the best deep fried Oreos yeah. ever, and I'm like, we need to do this again. That was, I can't, that was like no, five we... years ago already. That, that's. I was it? Gosh, we need to do we need to do a repeat because I think the last time you came over, we watched some movies. We watched uh, we need Thirty to, Days we need of to do Night. It again. Then yeah, yes, that's one of my favorites. It's so good. It's so I I never get tired of that movie. It's just such a terrifying, and I'm not really into the vampire genre, but this movie is just so good. 
Yeah, I, I had a, a really huge geek fest um, on the last episode that we, co- we recorded. Uh, we wanted, we were trying to pitch our ideal, our ideal like horror amusement park attraction. I just wanted to recreate Barrel Alaska in a 30 Days of Night themed attraction. That'd be so cool. It's terrible because whenever I think of Alaska, I'm like, is it like 30 Days of Night? I, I One of my best friends is from Alaska and I remember that was one of the things I asked her, and I'm sure she just thought, who is this girl? <laughs> that's always what I think of, is just dark, cold, beautiful, but vampires. <laughs> well, apparently, well, my brother my brother lived in Alaska. Uh, well, he was stationed there in the Air Force. He lived there for, like, I think at least three years. Um, apparently, it's really, really beautiful in the summer. So if you can survive the cold, I mean, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no. I can't. I'm a Florida girl. I need my sunshine. No, I can't though. I I belong in the heat. Mm, uh, we're DC that that great humid weather. Well, it's it's been raining more than it's been sunny. So about that. Anyway, so we have a brief history on Starless whore expertise, and uh, let's get started with the amazing movie. Uh, Train to Busan. So, Starla, uh, when did you first see Train to Busan or hear about it? So, Chris, uh, you were the first one who told me about Train to Busan. Uh, yes, yeah, no <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Chris, Chris always finds like not only does he give me the most awesome gifts that are zombie related, but he also will find these zombie movies and he'll write something on my Facebook wall and just be like, "Hey, just a heads up, we should go see this together." And Train to Busan was one of them. And I have to say, I've probably seen that movie like maybe 10 times. Not even joking. I will just put it on while I'm writing just to get inspired. It is so good. And it's it's just, it's such a novel idea for its genre. I, I mean, the zombie genre has kind of been saturated with, you know, everyone's trying to add a different spin to it. But I really feel like Train to Busan is unique and I, I can't get enough of it. And shout-outs to um, AMC, uh, because this was in 2016, I believe. Um, uh, Train to Busan first premiered um, at the 2016 Cannes Film Festival uh, in May. Um, And I I assume at the film festival, it just got a giant, giant, huge reception. And it became a breakout hit in Korea. So I... it seemed to um, generate enough press to warrant some screenings over here in the states, and that's uh, that's how I first heard about it. And I was like, "Oh my god, we Starla, we need to go see it." And uh, just I, 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 for for those who didn't get to see it in theaters, um, I, I know it's I know it's been on Netflix. It's still on Netflix, yeah, so it if is. you haven't seen it, yet, I can please confirm. go watch it. But like. <laughs> Oh my gosh, just like the theater experience is so, so amazing. And like, I just, I, I know, I think last year, or within the last year, it came back in theaters again. Um, I really want Train to Busan to come out again in like, in 4DX. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Where, like, the seats oh movie. my gosh. <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool. That would be terrifying. <laughs> it would be rumbling the entire yeah. time. <laughs> From the train, from yeah. the running, from the zombie noises, it would be it would be vibrating the entire yeah. time. Uh, 
it would be so immersive. Um, so no, actually, I saw a movie in those chairs, and it kind of takes you out of probably it. because you think something's in the room with you. That's what I would be worried about. Like, I'd just be so immersed in it that if some, like, the chair moved randomly, I would think it was a zombie trying to attack me. <laughs> <laughs> for personally, for me, I'm I'm well. I mean, yes, the I mean. Well, for DX, the tickets are more expensive, but that makes sense because you pay for experience. But I'm really picky about what movies to see in 4DX. Like, Star Wars The Last Jedi in 4DX, totally worth it. It was amazing. And then, um, I forget what, what was the other movie I saw in 4DX. But I saw what, Suicide the, Squad in 4DX. That was a regret. Uh, I liked a couple guess, of the characters, yeah. not to go off on a tangent. I liked a couple of the characters in Suicide Squad, but overall it was meh to me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's we won't accurate. go off on that because, like I said, I'll go off on Suicide tangents. Squad needs zombies. That would have been better. <laughs> it would have been better if there were zombies. Yes, in it. everything is better with zombies because I'll like Josh, including Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, and they did, and I actually really enjoyed that. I was very skeptical, but I actually enjoyed it. And and Josh knows I'm not I'm not like a gamer girl or anything like that, but. I will make an exception for any video games with zombies. He had we have a VR site here too. And I will, I mean, I'll play, there's Arizona Sunrise, which is horrifying and so scary. And, you know, it's, it's just so much fun. You actually, like when you're in the VR world, you think there's zombies on you. And Josh has told me like two hours will pass and I won't even realize it. And I'll take off the VR headset and my palms are all sweaty and my heart is pounding. And it's just, I love it though. It's so immersive and fun. I really enjoy it. That's great. I ha still have yet to have a VR experience, but I feel like I feel like a VR experience with zombies is both a wonderful and uh, dangerous adventure. Yes, yes. Starless, uh, Starless apartment is HQ for like the Alexandra safe zone, so we we'll be fine. Oh my god. Oh, I'm, I'm like, I am kicking butt and taking names. Like, I feel like I would survive the zombie apocalypse so well. I don't know if Chris told you this, but underneath my bed, I have, like, this stash of weapons. I have a machete. I have a crossbow pistol. I have my gun. I have various knives. I am prepared for the zombie apocalypse. Oh, great. So now that means Tom and I just need to get to you guys. Because clearly you have all the weapons, like, ever. So, okay. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I'm married to a cop, so we're good to go. <laughs> I'll just make sure I have my laptop and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll be set. <laughs> so, uh, let's get back on track. So, Train to Busan, uh, this was directed by Young Sang-ho and starring Gong Yu, uh, Young... Yumi and Ma Donsuk, uh, um, and this uh, I I'm just just putting it out there like the, just the year before um, 2015, another amazing South Korean director released Snowpiercer. Oh which yeah, is also on a with train, Chris Evans. But, yeah, it's also Apocalypse, um, and that was one of the big appeal, or I guess one of the big uh, elevator pitch elevator pitches that uh hooked me because a lot of a lot of sites were saying training Busan is basically snowpiercer but with zombies and i love i that definitely caught me on and but i i'm not saying i love i love snowpiercer but i think that tagline like reduces training to Busan 
way or simplifies it way too much because we'll get into it. But Trading Busan is so incredibly layered and uh, just it's it's just it's a masterpiece in like f- cinematography and story um, and just like political commentary. So we'll get into that. Um, but I I really enjoy Trading Busan and similar to like Mad Max Fury Road in that. The, the actual story premise is very simple, but how they executed it and how they injected um, like this really crazy um, diverse cast and how these how they re- react to each other and and, and um, how they clash or work together uh, it just makes for a super compelling story. Uh, so the main plot premise is um, Suk Woo is a divorced. Uh, like I guess like a head fudge manager, uh, and he's a absentee father. He's also a workaholic, um, and he has a daughter named Suyan. And uh, for her birthday, um, Suyan wants to go uh, to take the train to Busan to see her mother. Um, and through some guilt tripping, and uh, her father takes her. Uh, right when they board the the ktx train from seoul uh a giant uh zombie apocalypse in the city starts to uh come about and a uh a woman who is bitten on the leg sneaks on board and we are progressed through the rest of the movie uh in this high octane claustrophobic um uh, zombie outbreak on a train um so that's like the main elevator picture. We'll go through the plot, but like, what do you guys like? I I thought like it, it was so so well executed, even though the plot's like very very simple. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Well, I I have to admit, I I guess I'm so used to watching American zombie movies, and there's a reason why I'm being super specific, but we'll get to that later. I, th- I guess I'm so used to watching American zombie movies that everything is very, like, laid out for you. So, person gets onto train, you see this happen, you see this happen, and it's because of this person that got onto the train. So, all the subsequent shots after that sort of point back to this incident. But the beginning of this movie wasn't like that. You went from her to, I think, someone weird got on this train to it being the homeless guy is who they were talking about not the girl that we know is going to infect the rest of this train. And I think that's what I admired and loved so much about this movie was the way they threw everything together. And I don't want to I don't mean throw everything together like in a lazy way. I mean like the way it was cut together. It was so well done and it was so gorgeous. So I can understand why Starla has seen this 10 times because it was so beautiful and it was so well done. So I was thoroughly impressed. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really good way of saying it, too. Um, I know for me, when I first saw it, you know, you you think about the majority of the movie takes place on a train, and, and, you know, I think to most people, they would say, well, how is this going to be interesting? You know, how, like, you have the same set throughout the entire movie, what's this going to look like? And when you actually think about all the different scares and all of the different scenes that they're able to pull off while on a train... It's pretty incredible, and even the diversity that they bring to the zombies themselves. Like, these zombies, like, do form massive pile-offs, like what you'd see in World War Z. But then they also have this twist in that the zombies have poor eyesight, 
And so in some of the, the scenes in the movie, they're actually so terrifying and so creative because you have these characters trying to utilize darkness to their advantage. And um, these zombies are pretty much rendered helpless because they can't see, they can't, you know, all of their senses are, are, are moot, essentially. Um, so, and I, and I just really enjoyed that even though you have a lot of characters in the mix, they're all so well-developed, you almost feel like, I don't know, every time I see Train to Busan, I always tear up um, at the end, and I don't know if we're going to talk about the end. Oh god, I know! I know, I always, I'm like, you have to be the most heartless monster if you don't have cry, and I don't, I'm not a crier. Like, I got through Titanic, and I didn't shed a tear, but then you show me Train to Busan hot mess, so, uh... Oh no, my fiancé teared up too, and he's not a horror movie person, he doesn't get emotional like that, and he teared up at this, he was like, god damn, onion ninjas, I was like, I was like, there's something about, and maybe it's just Asian horror movies in general, but they always, but some of them always add that element where it's like, god damn it, we're supposed to be watching a horror movie and you're making me cry. And I, 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 I love that about them. It adds that, like, that just that, like, extra thing that just takes it there. Well, it's a, it's a character-driven story wrapped up in zombies. I mean, you have, I mean, you have, like, the main character who we see him in, like, the so-called, like, wasteland that is his life. He's a workaholic. He's not around to raise, or he's not paying attention to his daughter, He's not. He's yeah. He's not the nicest guy. Yeah. They they take specific measures throughout the movie to place seeds where. Yeah, but it's it's just such a like I love seeing the character transformations. I love seeing the father, you know, going from being this kind of self centered, you know, workaholic, uninvolved parent to doing everything he can to ensure his daughter's survival, and not only just caring about his daughter and his you know, his circle, so his daughter, basically, his that's that's his priority, but also, you know, befriending these strangers who clearly have um, these unselfish tendencies to help other strangers, and he becomes, you know, he becomes like them, and, and you just see him blossom, and it's just, it's so nice, but it's also like that, you know, too little, too late, I don't know, it just, the end just is heartbreaking for me. It's not only just heartbreaking, but I think that this movie had a lot of uh, appealing things to me as a movie viewer besides something that was character driven and compelling in terms of the horror genre and in terms of horror movies and zombies the, the zombies that they did in this movie are my favorite they're scary because they're fast moving they are the 28 days later zombies they fucking run they don't shuffle, they don't do whatever, and yes, they have their own sort of off switch or confused switch, but they run, they can move. And for me, that's what the idea of a zombie outbreak terrifies me with. It's not the shufflers that you can like quickly outwalk. It's the ones that run. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> no, we're screwed. If it's if it's like, yeah, we're screwed. We're completely screwed. Um, because they never tire, and, like, that's another thing that, um, I think the Brits do really well, too, is they, um, you know, anything from, I don't know if you've ever seen the miniseries Dead Set, which is a British miniseries, um, and obviously 28 Days, 28 Weeks Later, but the zombies are runners, and that just, like, I, I can run, 
if someone's chasing me, but I will get tired eventually. And, and these zombies never tire. And so you just, I don't even know, like, it doesn't matter how good of a fighter you are or how skilled you, your survival skills are. But if you're, you know, your knees are going to give out, it's like these zombies, I feel like the only thing that would stop them is if their knees blow out. And that's it. Otherwise, they have tunnel vision, they have you in their sights, and they will not give up until they've caught you. So you could never rest. It's terrifying. It's really terrifying. You're never safe. I feel like even with these, and maybe maybe with most runners that could be the case, but I feel like with the zombies that they sort of set the precedent for in this universe, in this movie, because you see this in Soul Station, even loss of limb doesn't really stop them. They don't care they are it's it's like it's the very basis of their psychosis if you will it's their id it's their basic need that they are they want you they're fucking hungry they're coming after you because it satisfies that need however temporarily so i and that's why i love 28 days later and 28 weeks later dead set was brilliantly done for that reason okay you've seen it yep yep Oh, yeah, Dead Set was great. I couldn't believe I found that. I can't even remember where I found that now that I think about it. It was on Netflix. I saw it back in 2009 when it came out. I was actually living overseas at the time. And I just remember being, you know, terrified, blown away. But no one does zombies like the Brits. I mean, this Train to Busan is awesome, but the Brits have it down. They really do. I de- yeah, I, I, don't, I don't remember... I don't think it was that, I don't think it was 2009, I think it was later than that, but I've definitely, I've definitely seen it, and I remember it getting to the end of that, and just sitting there like, that is so satisfying to see the total demise of all of that, just like for me, it's satisfying that not everybody got away scot-free. And then, of course, at the end of Train to Busan, there was, like, Chekhov's song instead of Chekhov's gun, and I can't believe I didn't see that coming, but that was my own damn fault. (laughs) Uh, What I really enjoyed about Train to Busan is um, the the actors, the transformation scene. Like, like, they start super convulsing, and, like, I remember there's one shot where um, I, I think it was one of the baseball players that got bitten, and then it, he just starts flailing in circles on the ground for a second. And, like, first his shoulders roll over, and then his head follows, and he gets up, and he starts twitching and running. Like, I like I, I assume, like, they hired, like, contortionists and, like, and like, like, super flexible acrobatic people like that. And it's just so creepy. And I, I love how when they're broken, they sort of stay broken, though. Like, you saw that one guy whose, like, neck was hanging all the way back or something, and he just stayed that way. And I was like, this is, this is great! Yeah, it definitely makes it more terrifying, especially, you know, when they're contorting on the ground like that. It's just, like, I don't just, I think that first initial scene, um, when the, the girl who snuck onto the train she bites one of the um, attendants on the train, and then it, it goes on from there. And just seeing all of them rushing forward to attack the passengers and seeing their body move like that was just, yeah, really, really effective. Really effective camera work Woo! and acting. I think the, the most heartbreaking part for me, out of all the characters that you get to know and watch through this movie the one that I was actually like legitimately upset about turning 
was the guy whose wife was pregnant. Oh yeah, uh, his name is uh, Sung Hya. He's played by Ma Duk Seok. He's the, the 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 tough working class man. I was he's, so he's... upset. I was like, no. I was. He's just like, Aww. I don't care. I don't need a bat. I don't need shield. I'm just gonna punch these zombies in the face. And, and he like, was yes. so badass. Yeah, he really was. He was um like a beast. And at the end, well, I don't know if we're gonna go into oh, like, no, all the details. Oh no, this is this is oh, yeah, yeah, all spoilers. spoilers. Yeah. Okay, okay, totally, then I can say it. Totally and at the end, like he's holding the door back, and um, it's cracking. You've got you know this just this influx of zombies that are pushing against this glass door, and it's about to break. And he's telling his wife like he's like, "Go, you've got to go. Don't come near me because he's already been bitten." And then he yells out the name that the they their child because she was pregnant. He's like he yells out what he wants the the baby to be named, and it just it's such a sweet like last touch. And also when he was like take care of my wife, like he told this guy who was just not the nicest guy and becomes his friend. Um, you know he sacrifices himself knowing that you know his pregnant wife is going to be with a stranger. But it just ties together so nicely just to see everyone kind of transforming and they're all kind of becoming a family together but yeah he was just he was the coolest yeah not, not only that like even when he's in the middle of being infected like you see the veins and his eyes are going all white and glassy like he literally picks up a zombie turns him sideways and uses it as a bridge or as a barrier oh um which leads me into the most hated guy of the movie uh, that rich CEO guy, Yun Suk, who just, who literally, like, pushes train attendants into zombies, and he, he, he pushes the, the, uh, what's it called, um, the baseball player's girlfriend to the side. Oh, and yeah. Gets, gets her bit. She like, gets bitten, yeah. Uh, oh, he got his way too late in the movie. Yes, he should have, he should have. Oh, I he should have fucking I died a w like way earlier into that movie. I was so mad he got as far as he did. Yeah, he uh, he's definitely the most hated. And just seeing also how I don't know if you guys remember the two elderly women, but they're kind of watching. You know, the passengers have split off, and one you know they're not letting the other passengers onto their their car, and um just kind of seeing how these these older women seeing it through their eyes and they're just watching everything you know break down and in chaos and and people kind of reverting to their most uh bases like their base selfish needs and interests and they're just like you know what I'm out and um this guy like it was just incredible how he was able to rally everyone to lock these people out and he kept manipulating his way i mean when he threw there he's hiding in the bathroom with that one of the train attendants and he's like the guy's like hey is it clear can we can we leave the bathroom and this guy nods he's like yeah it's clear why don't you go out first and he pushes him out and of course the guy dies he gets attacked while this this mean malicious character is able to escape and i didn't feel like his end was horrible enough. I thought he should have had a much worse death. I could have come up in my head with a million different ways he should have died. I was coming up with a million different ways he should have died in that movie, watching yeah. his <laughs> arc from start to finish. I wanted him to die so much earlier in that movie, and I, I think, like, not that I want to get nitpicky, because I really don't see anything really wrong with this movie. I think they did everything right, but if I have to get, like, nitpicky about anything which... I always do. It would be that they didn't kill this guy 
early enough and more gruesome. Well, I mean, you have to have a villain. I mean, uh, it's like the old. I I understand <laughs> you have to have a villain, but some, but even the villains in Disney movies have had more gruesome deaths than that. Well, I mean, I mean think about it's... The, some of the Disney movies we watched growing up. Fucking Clayton gets hot, like you see his shadow hanging up against the vines. That's pretty traumatic when you're a kid. It's a zombie movie. We're watching people get ripped apart with dead people's mouths. Like he could have. He could have been like a little bit more defiled. But but Brian, this is a zombie movie. There's no happy endings. You think you think you think his the uh, I would have been happy you think for Sun him Moon to die a little bit was alive together at the safe side. No, <laughs> we have to we, we have to cry. It's, it's, I think this movie has kind of a happy. I mean, it's an ambiguous ending, but it doesn't really say whether it's happy or or sad. I mean, there are times when you watch zombie movies, and I'll even say this like for when I write in my books, um, you know, the endings are pretty dark and, you know, all like the characters are gone and you just see them succumb to this, this zombie apocalypse. But in World War Z and in Train to Busan, I felt like it was kind of ambiguous and, uh, it's probably where they're going to go from there for the sequel. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, um, I like how Train to Busan is, uh, deliberately vague about, the extent to the, of the outbreak because at the beginning of the movie um we saw that the the virus or whatever it is can actually infect and not kill animals uh, so the first scene is like this this uh truck driver hitting a deer and the deer reanimates and um you know if you see if you watch a lot of movies or if you take max brooks's uh zombie survival guide as gospel um, you know, the, the zombie virus or plague usually kills, uh, or is like hundred percent fatal to a- animals. And, um, the movie did mention, or they showed a brief clip, uh, about a whole bunch of fish, uh, just ending up dying. And then throughout the movie, they sprinkle hints that, um, uh, Sakwu, his company may have been liable, and they they were talking about a a leak at the plant and how this outbreak started at a biotech firm. Um, so, so we don't know if if uh, this virus is just limited to uh, South Korea, um, but I think it's really interesting how they they established that it could infect animals because it could be it could be just as simple as i don't know maybe a bird gets infected and it flies across the ocean into mainland asia and infects like other people um but we don't know i mean that and and, you just basically said the plot to contagion well yes i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) i mean but i mean starla makes a good point there's a sequel coming out and we don't know if it's going to be concurrent or going to be set after Train to Busan? Even, well, even the prequel sort of laid over, like, inter, like, was interwoven with Train to Busan. And I, I don't know if, I mean, I definitely want the sequel to sort of says, sort to sort of explore what happens after that. I, I just, I, we get, we had like the briefest of notions as to how that happened in this movie but I sort of want them to go into it a little bit more but I think that's only because after I started reading a little bit on the social commentary about Train to Busan and South Korean 
existence and culture and things like that, that's that would be my only motivation for saying, no, 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 go go in, go more into that. I want to know what happened. I want to know how and why they started this. Yeah, so in Trinity Busan, they, they, they give hints. They give you, like, hooks, but it's not 100% sure. And then we, we haven't really talked about a lot about um, Soul Station, but um, we, we, we see from the movie that the, the outbreak really got um, really picked up momentum in Seoul, Korea, because we found this homeless man uh, who, uh, an elderly homeless man who got bitten in the neck and he died and then he ended up infecting other members of the homeless population. And then it spread from there, but we don't know where where he got bitten. Um, so I, which makes me wonder, because um, I don't know. Maybe did he was he in a rural area, or I mean, it seemed like he he was a pretty. He seemed like he was a resident of the Seoul for a long time because he had uh, the other homeless guy calling him brother or calling him bro. So they seemed to know each other for a long while. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I like, as much as I like, or as much as I would like to know more, I, I really like the fact that they kept it vague because you can have all these fun dialogues, conversations and, and debates of like what really happened or, you know, I, I, I love theory crafting like that. I do too. But then there's sometimes when I just want to know, like, I don't know. I, I want to know exactly why it happened, how it happened, which I do in, when I write, I, I don't really leave a lot of ambiguity, but with this one, and I don't know if the um, the sequels, I feel like the sequel is not going to have any connection to these characters or um, this particular story. It'll probably be like Soul in general, surviving the siege of undead. Um, but I kind of, I liked the mystery in this one, but I, you're right, I've never seen like animals really incorporated into a zombie movie like I saw with this one and even implying the animals themselves can be reanimated I'm not sure how I feel about that to be truthful because I'm kind of a purist in the sense of I like you know the infection to be specifically specifically relegated towards humans because I think that makes it more threatening I almost like that they're not even interested in animals and that it's 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 something they can't contract but um yeah it was it was a different a different approach to it. I haven't seen that before. I just want. I just. I was. I was joking with with uh, with Ryan. I just want an like a season of Walking Dead where the main villain is a zombie bear, and and like I don't know, like some villain takes the zombie bear and, and wraps barbed wire around it and armor and like sets it on Rick and, and friends and company. I I just. I know it's not. I mean, I'm a purist too. That sounds like the Revenant. <laughs> it sounds like the Revenant in Walking Dead. It does, yes. I mean, I just, I just love the fact. I mean, like you know, nature's horrible. Your nature's nature can be really terrifying to begin with. Begin with, and if you just have like some crazy overpowered creature and you just make it a zombie, and then it's just even more terrifying. I just, I just, I just want to see that. <laughs> So basically what Chris wants for Christmas is a picture of a zombified bear. We can probably do that. I'm not a Photoshop expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I know some cover artists that I'm sure could could manipulate some photos to look like that for you, Chris. Oh, <laughs> thanks. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs>
<laughs> um, so we talked a lot about Training Busan. Let's talk a little bit about Soul Station. Ah, oh, this fucking movie. I don't know what it is, but I, either it's a South Korean thing or it's this director or the writer, but what is it with the awesome zombiness and the tragic fucking storylines? I mean, you, I mean, I think that's, I mean, you could say the same thing about Walking Dead. I mean, no, you can't. There is nothing not... tragic about the Walking Dead. Granted, oh my gosh. Watching... Yes, there is. Okay. Well, There's okay. So much be, tragedy. <laughs> to be fair, I stopped watching after season one because what? Yeah. So I watched all of season one. I was like, this was awesome. I started watching season two. I said, oh, it's the same bullshit. Bye. Not here for it. And I just sort of like left. Well, right. What I meant is like, I mean, the, the zombies are a huge threat. Yes. But it becomes the backdrop for like human drama um, and, you know, how humans react to a threat so existential and horrifying. Um, but right. Uh, that being said... Oh my gosh, I can't... Oh, I'm sorry. I loved it. Yes. No, 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 I was just saying, like... <laughs> now, I have kind of, like... I think I've kind of dropped off from Walking... I still watch it, but I've, I've kind of shifted gears to Fear the Walking Dead, but... Yeah, oh my gosh, like, Walking Dead is, like... It's, like, my heart and soul. I love that show. I've, I've thought about giving it a chance again. Give it a chance. But it a chance. I just... Maybe it's because, like, I was too invested in the zombies and not the characters, but I don't, like, I don't want to hate it. I, oh, I don't awesome. want to. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. I think that, um, I think I also started watching it at a time where uh, I felt that a lot of the horror movies that were coming out around that time were all zombie movies, and I was like, all right, enough is enough, like people are now just doing it poorly and it needs to stop. So I could have been in a cynical phase. Well, that's why, that's why it's so great that you have directors like, like these guys, like Young Sang-ho, because they take the zombie genre and they do something really fresh with it. Like, you know, like, again, like it's oversimplified, but just put zombies on a train a la Snowpiercer and you have like this really cool environment where the, you, you hit the train compartments are really claustrophobic and like the zombies are crowding the lanes and they you have a specific in-world logic of how the zombies are, uh, uh, operate to um, create drama like their eyesight is poor so every time they go through a tunnel that that's their window to, to move up or down uh, the train cars um, with Soul Station, um, I found, one of the things I, I found super fascinating, and uh, I, I really loved how it, it has, like, similar ideas to, uh, Max Brooks and World War Z, uh, specific, uh, and how the zombie apocalypse grew exponentially due to, um, like, government bureaucracy, and, and and like lack of communication and like like and just and like government governmental ineptitude because like you know one of the th thing is like the zombie outbreak could have been contained far sooner in Seoul Station, but everyone assumed that uh, it was like the homeless rioting or that the public was just protesting and rioting uh, when in fact you know it was a full blown 
uh, outbreak. Um, and I, I, I think it's, I think that it's a really, I think it's really novel. I really love how these guys, you know, just brought something fresh and new to the zombie genre. Cause like, yes, uh, uh, zombies are, and this is coming from me. Like I love zombies, but like it sometimes, um, you know, it's hard to find something new, uh, to bring to the genre, but I think these guys did it so freaking well. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, um, like, moral undertones in Soul Station, um, because it starts out with the homeless guy, and he's basically, like, sitting there bleeding, and people are either offended by how he smells, and they don't want to help him, or, like, there's one scene that I remember where he's sitting there, he, you know, he's, he looks really, um, you know, unkempt and, and in pain, uh, and there's clearly blood all over him, and people are just walking past in the train station going to, or underground, wherever he was, walking past, going on with their daily business, and didn't even give him the time of day. Um, so I think there were a lot of just these moral undertones that I have in characters, the female lead, um, you know, the, the, the twist at the end with the supposed father, uh, just a lot, of, a, a lot of interesting points that were made in the movie that I didn't see as much in other movies. Ah, oh, I know. I was crying. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't get me as much as, as Train to Busan, but it was, and it was again another dark, sad ending. But um, I thought the twist was a lot greater in Soul Station, and um, and I really enjoyed that. I definitely. I mean, I know, I know that Train to Busan and, and Soul Station are comparable. There is, I, I mean, obviously, but I think in terms of the way they treated the same story, the same like at its core, the same zombie story, was really amazing. Like it was still in the same universe, and they still had some of the same things that were happening. But I like how it felt like a true prequel, but it didn't take anything away from Train to Busan. And I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you... Yeah, you lose nothing by not watching Soul Station, but you still should watch Soul Station because it just gives you uh, a different flavor and uh, it, it shows you more about what's going on inside the city because... Uh, pretty much right at the beginning of Train to Busan, like as the train is leaving, um, they do quick flashes like Suyan. Um, or actually, well, they, they, as soon as the train leaves, like the outbreak is is, is uh, pick up full force, and then um, only when they saw, start showing like newscasts um, uh, on the train that people realize like, oh, something's going down. Um, I like how Soul Station also still preserves that same sense of like claustrophobia uh that's so prevalent like um of how like they use well both movies like really like the environment they 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 use the environment in a way as something that as a, as a enemy on itself um so training persona you had like the really tight cramped train compartments and in, um in soul station they use like alleyways um and how the government themselves set up barriers. Like, they, they literally parked giant police buses to block off um, sections. So they, there's, like, in the third act, in one of the climaxes, um, they, the police are uh, 
parked a giant a giant van or giant bus and they were setting up uh, fire hoses to block off all these so-called protesters and the other side um survivors erected a giant wall made of, of random stuff and the, the zombies were uh at the gates um and it just created this really high tense drama um where you know the you know the people are trying to get out but the police are not letting them out and then the zombies are, are pounding on their end and then it just all goes to hell and it's like that's really cool i like that i was constantly holding my breath throughout both of these movies and there there was that always that sense of tension and urgency and it never took away from my experience of watching either one of them so they did a really fucking amazing job with this film especially for being an animated movie too i mean i've seen a couple good resident evil um animated movies i think there are like six or seven of them total uh, including the ones that have been like major motion pictures and there have been like smaller ones but usually i don't really get into horror movies that have been animated they just don't scare me but this one i felt like was it was really effective and uh terrifying like the effects shockingly you know but it, it worked for them there was so much about this movie that worked <laughs> Mhm. yeah I, I really enjoyed like um the fact that they experimented with it with a different medium and we, this segues into one of our other points that um um you know, they're creating. Uh, so the creators, the minds behind Trader Busan, I think they're working with um, an agency from Singapore. They're gonna adapt Trader Busan for VR, which is amazing. And like, 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 I do. So I, I don't know what, what, what does VR mean? Is it like a movie where you watch it in? And with VR goggles, or is it actually like some attraction where you, where you have like a tr- like a treadmill, uh, like a three like a three sixty degree treadmill uh, underneath you, and you're actually walking or running for your life through the, through a train? Oh, that'd be awesome! I I want to I, I will I will I will I want to lose my mind, but I you we have to try it. It sounds so fun. You just need to come over and play. Um our VR. You need to see the, both of you need to come over and try it. You will be, you'll never go back to anything like video games, which is not be satisfying anymore. And just that immersive experience will blow your mind. Yeah. Except I might literally lose my mind. If I that. <laughs> so I don't know how great of an idea that is, unless you want to take care of me completely <laughs> out of my gourd, which can't happen. Um, okay. So any last thoughts about China Busan or soul station? Yes. So we brought up something earlier. I had specified American versus non-American films. And that is because Chris decided to grace me with the unholy knowledge that... I was doing my homework. (laughs) Yeah, well, fuck your homework. Uh, no. (laughs) Decided to grace me with the unholy knowledge that they are trying to do an American remake of Train to Busan. And I am infuriated Are they really? I knew they were going to make it into, like, English. I didn't know they were going to redo the whole movie, though. Okay, I hope they don't. I guess it couldn't be called Train to Busan anymore. There's only, like, a select few trains that you could actually, like, take, like, that could take place here, like, here. 
It'll be like train to Newark, Washington D.C. Yeah. <laughs> train, train to Camden. I don't know. <laughs> speak, speak your, speak your heart, Ryan. Hot takes, hot takes right now. I, I fucking am. I, I think that there are very few success, and I'm using the word successful because there have been yeah. too many of them that have been done. I think that there are few successful American remakes of foreign films that do well or do something different or unique uh, that sort of make me yearn for the original. Like, uh, let the right one in. We fucking ruined it. Um, uh, The Uninvited, which was a remake of another wonderfully done Korean horror movie. We fucking ruined that too. I think one of the few that I've seen that I didn't actually hate was Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. And that might have been it. I, I think, well, you know, um, assuming this is an American remake and, and not, like, not just an English remake. If it's an English remake, I, I this rant was completely useless. If it's an American remake, don't do it! No, 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 but this is, this, but this is a good, this is a good content generator or good conversation because uh, Train to Busan is very, very linked with geography and culture and, uh... And I think, I think removing it or transitioning, it would be really hard to uh, translate and preserve some of those nuances um, that made the movie so great. And in terms of geography, like like we mentioned, like there's if it's set in the U.S., there's not a lot of. I mean, let's be honest, our public transportation infrastructure sucks, and I, I, you know, like. Star and Light, we live in the DC metro area, and <laughs> Train to Busan in the DC metro will not work. Everyone will die in the first five seconds because the train stations, even without a zombie apocalypse, they're always on fire. They're always single tracking. The people are always being delayed and standing on the the train tracks for like an hour. You know, it's it, it's it's game over. Yeah. Yeah. Tom it's, lived it's in DC before I met him, and one of the stories that always makes me laugh when he talks about how terrible the metro was was that he was on his way to work he was standing right at the front of the train track and because he had just missed a train and he was waiting for the next one and a whole mass of people had piled up behind him and when they heard the train was approaching it's like everyone took a step forward and almost pushed him onto the track i mean not just him like everybody that was in the front row and he had to turn around and be like Unless you all want to be wait, late like late to work because they're peeling me off the tracks, you're going to stop shoving me right fucking now. And I was like, for as much as I complain about the MTA, I don't think I've ever had that problem. <laughs> and, and that's bad train etiquette without zombies. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, people. But also, like, you have that problem here in, here in the city, here in New York. We have the problem of... People want to get on the train while people are still getting off. And, like, I've gotten stuck in between people trying to do that to the point where I've had to turn around and be like, you need to move. The conductor is right next to you. He can see you. He's not leaving without you. Let me get off the fucking train. And, like, I don't like being that asshole because then, you know, I am that. I'm an asshole. But 
Yeah, I feel, I feel like if you place a zombie movie in the States, it won't work because there's too many problems. And if you make the trains without problems, it's just not realistic. <laughs> well, they've done zombies in pretty much every um, possible venue. Because even, like, they've done it on planes. They've done it in, um, you know, in, in trains now. I mean, I think even there have been zombie movies where you've seen snippets on a train. Um, I can't think of one that comes to mind right now. But they've already kind of touched on a lot of these possible venues for the zombie apocalypse so i don't know i mean if there's ever a breakout here in the united states i feel like especially in the cities we are very screwed so especially on the metro here in dc we're in big trouble yeah i think if if uh they wanted to do the train outbreak idea other in a place other than korea you could do I mean, it'll be. I think you you could do places like Japan, which has like the, the the bullet train systems, or I think something that would be really interesting. Um, you know, it could take place in Russia because a lot of their uh, Cold War era train systems were designed to be like air raid or bomb shelter. So I think that would be a um, a nice or interesting uh, setting and. Um, you know, there's an entire post-apocalyptic franchise uh, consisting of books and video games that take that premise, um, except without. I mean, there there are infected, but they're not zombies. Like they're like mutants because of like nuclear fallout. But um, if anyone wants to check that, out, it's called uh, Metro 2033. Uh, it's really really cool. I'll have to check it out, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think with that, uh, Starla, let's talk a bit about your book, all about zombies and zombie survival. And um, yeah. so yeah, so like we, I know we talked about a whole bunch of different range of topics, so we can cover them all. So uh, how about just uh, how about explain what your books are about, and um, maybe for starters, like what inspired you to write them, and what was the writing process like? Well, I started writing um, when I was eleven. And uh, I would come home from school and do my homework. And I had this old antique desk that my dad had given me from when he grew up in Venezuela. So I don't know, it just was like this thing that was very inspirational um, that always, you know, got my creative juices flowing. And so I wrote about Star Wars. I was a huge Star Wars fan. And I wrote these two, and honestly, I wrote them all on paper. And they're huge. Um, These two books about Darth Vader and Boba Fett. And it was kind of like, it's kind of embarrassing now when I look back at No, 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 no. This is awesome. I'm a little embarrassed because it was like a love triangle and I was the center of their (laughs) affections. (laughs) Yes. No, no, no. And I illustrated these books. I illustrated them. Give us all the juicy details right now. (laughs) Wait, I need the copy of the Never. Josh. Josh, no, I don't yes. even know if Josh has seen all of my illustrations, but like one of them is like me kissing Darth Vader with his mask on and I like push a button so that I can like <laughs> kiss him on his, I don't know. I don't know what my 11 year old Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is beautiful. Come, no. It's so embarrassing, but I don't know what my 11 year old mind was, was thinking, but in no, all honesty. This is, this is, this is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I also wrote another book about this girl and she travels to Scotland and it's just like a really interesting, like kind of world traveler, which is me in a nutshell. 
Um, so I feel like I always try to infuse myself somehow into my writing. But I actually wrote George Lucas when I was a kid and had sent him a handwritten oh excerpt of my book. And I was so mad because I got back. Uh, I got he did. He well, his assistant wrote me back and it said I was too young and to reach out to them when I was older and I got like a bookmark and I remember feeling so frustrated and discouraged by that and so too young I know I was too young apparently (laughs) but I you know years later I made it a goal that I wanted to um like a bucket list goal that I wanted to write a book before I turned 30 and when I finally got to hold my first book which was The Undoing um, I got to hold it in my hands and I was like, take that George Lucas. Like I did it. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was so offended by George Lucas. Um, you know, my 11 year old mind was like, but this is good stuff. And actually I read through it and I'm like, well, actually it's pretty, and it's, the books are massive. Like I strung them together with like a piece of twine and they're just, you know, handwritten on, on these. It's pretty impressive to be honest. I don't know. I don't know many 11 year olds who would do that with their spare time but apparently i was a pretty big nerd and that's what i did in my spare time george lucas lost out he, he could have had he could have had this beautiful tr- like this beautiful love triangle with darth vader me and boba fett Woo! <laughs> it's it's just look, george lucas he he, he he done goofed he done fucked up yeah yeah it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> but um so yeah I, i'm not like winning any cool points here but Oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're on a horror podcast. You're winning all the cool points. Wait, talking about. But uh yeah, so I um I think probably in like 2013, I don't know, sometime in that neck of the woods, I um I wrote The Undoing, which is part of a trilogy that I am still working on because of life. But um I wrote that in about six months and, uh, you know, it was a really, it was easy actually writing the book. It was the process after of editing and marketing and sending it out to beta readers that was really time consuming and, and just getting it formatted and having the right cover and, um, you know, being your own advocate because when you're self-published, you are your own advocate. You don't have these publishing presses, printing presses doing all the work for you, but it's just so rewarding, and I've done uh, another, like, a novella uh, that actually Josh and I wrote together in the paranormal horror genre called A Town in the Mountain. So we, we every year, I think um, I'm a part of this writing group with these other authors, some of them who are New York Times bestsellers. They're awesome. They've really helped guide me through the world of writing, but they um, offered, they asked if uh, I wanted to be a part of an anthology that we do. It's like a winter holiday anthology and this one happened to be paranormal and so we did a town in the mountain together last winter and then this winter we're doing another one together and then I have my second um part of the trilogy of the undoing which is the good the dead and the lawless and the undoing is book one book two will be the hell that follows and I just got my cover for that done and I had to do some rewriting and I got married this year so life and I just started working my dream job so it's been kind of a busy year but i'm really trying hard to to get this book done because it's time making nice. those pro moves Woo! yes <laughs> yeah so that's that's um pretty much kind of my journey and uh, i don't know that i'll always um you know i think once i finish this trilogy i don't know what other areas i'll dabble in next um i know that the 
the romance genre. Oh, cough, cough, filmmaking. Cough, I know, yeah. Cough. <laughs> filmmaking. <laughs> That's Josh. That's Josh's area of expertise is filmmaking. I could do that. I help write most of his screenplays. Most of his, like, movie ideas, I've definitely thrown my two cents in. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely, like, publishing a book is the dream of so many people, but, like, so few people actually do it. And so it was a bucket list. I did it before I was 30, and um, I hope to continue doing it, you know, throughout the rest of my life but on the side when I have when I have the time to do it. I really love it, and I, I think it's so cool when you're writing a book that, um, you know, I've read forums where people were, or even reviews on Amazon of my book where people are mad with how, you know, a character acts, or maybe they have a crush on one of the characters, and it's so interesting to me that these characters I created out of nothing, that people are having active conversations, and they are emotional, and they are angry, or happy, or sad, um, out of something that was created out of nothing. I mean, these characters don't exist, they're just, you know, part of my imagination that my imagination conjured up, so... I'd say that's really rewarding, just to, even if people don't necessarily agree with how you take your characters, um, I I always love hearing the feedback, and ultimately, like, I started this trilogy because I, I wanted to ask the question to the reader, you know, what how far would you go to survive, you know, what would you be willing to do to protect those that you love, which I think a lot of these movies touch on that already. Um... So that's kind of my my feeling on it. I think, that's, I think that's awesome. Considering the fact that I have... We just so... My fiancé and I just moved to the apartment we have now. It's bigger than our old place, which we severely needed. But upon packing everything up, I have an entire bottom drawer of a nightstand that has maybe about 10 to 15 notebooks filled like nearly completely filled, some of them are half filled, with ideas and stories and things that I haven't quite finished yet. So the fact, but they're all like half, they're all like half baked. So the fact that you're sitting here and you were like, no, you know what? I want to do this before I'm 30. I want to do this. And, and you went out and you did it. I really, I, I fucking admire the absolute oh, shit out of you. that. Because I think that's... Thank you. It's it's hard. I'm, I'm not going to, I just actually posted something on my author page because so many people ask questions about the process and, you know, where do you start? Or, you know, hey, I've got this idea, but I just don't know, you know, how to put it on paper, so to speak. And, um, you know, it's a matter of, there's a lot of discipline that's involved in writing because when I get home, I know a lot of times the last thing I want to do is try to use creative energy because I don't have any energy when I get home a lot of times. And so instead of, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard and you have to just say, I'm going to go and, you know, shut off the TV or I'm going to um, kind of go to my quiet place or I'm going to go write in a cafe somewhere where I am not going to be distracted and you just have to choose to do that instead of brain draining in front of the television because it's so easy to do the latter. I'm, a, I'm guilty as charged. But when you actually hold your paper, like the paper, the hard copy of your book in your hand, it's just like it's very surreal. And um, I think it was one of the happier moments in my life. But I, a dream that I've had since I was 11 finally came to fruition. And so I would just say anyone who wants to write or 
you know, even if you, you said a lot of these stories are only like partially done, pick one, you know, move forward with it and just give it your all because that's, it's really, it's just a matter of being disciplined. And that's the hardest thing I think. And I think it's also like a matter of just setting it, setting the time, even if you only have yeah. like 30 minutes to work on it, you know, just, yeah, you know, even definitely. just write a couple of sentences um, you know, and write as much as possible and I, I just make it, make it like, um, yeah, just, just set it aside and like, just, just keep, just keep working, keep, keep working at it. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there's a specific race to get stuff done unless, I mean, I mean, unless you, but it's also important, like, like Starlight did to like set a goal because to keep you motivated and to, um, I think I, I get, yeah so but it's so it's, it's so inspiring hard. it's really hard yeah oh thanks guys so okay so no wait i have a question so obviously you're into zombies for a very huge obvious reason what was what was appealing to you about that out of all the things that you could have picked in the supernatural paranormal horror realm yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, again, I would say that my first experience with uh, horror was Dawn of the Dead, and for whatever reason, I find zombies to be the most terrifying, only because um, you know they're they're relentless and they um, I don't know they they pop out at you at random places, and I am also a survivalist. I'm not wearing like a tinfoil cap or anything, but I really am fascinated by the idea of surviving. Um, Josh and I will go out and we'll do minimalist camping in the forest in Virginia. And we'll go out there with just like our packs and tiny little tents and an MRE stash. And we'll drink from a stream with like a life straw. Um, and no, I'm not even joking. We totally have life straws. And I just love the idea of of having to survive. I mean, granted, I don't want to live in a tent and I don't want to be forced to make those kinds of decisions and live in an apocalyptic world. But there's another part of me that knows I would totally be, um, you know, a fighter and I would be willing to do whatever it, it takes to protect those that I care about. I mean, even my cat Taco, who is like, I mean, I know this sounds funny, but my cat Taco is like my son. I freaking love that cat. And I don't care if it's the middle of the zombie apocalypse. I will come home from work or wherever I am and get Taco, put him in his little backpack, which he does have, and we will be on our merry way. Like, I am just, I'm very protective and I'm like, they're just, I, I think it would be really interesting to see how I would be in the zombie apocalypse, I guess. I will say that Tom and I have absolutely played with that. Like, we have sat on the couch and said, okay, so if this happens, what do we do? Where do we meet? And we have right. a checkpoint. We have how many days we're supposed yeah. to wait. Like, yeah. mean, we've gone through the notions of doing all of that because we think it's fun to sit there and play out the what-if scenarios in our head. Right, absolutely. And, and truthfully, you should... And not in, in being serious here, I mean, most likely a zombie apocalypse would never happen, but you should be prepared because you don't know what could what could ever go down. And at least to have in an emergency a meeting point to say to your spouse or to your children or whatever, your family, 
hey, if something ever goes down and we lose cell cell phone, you know, reception, whatever, we will meet at this place because you don't want to be caught completely unprepared. And Josh and I have bug out bags even. So we have these backpacks that are filled with, um, you know, random if we have to go in a heartbeat, it's got to change of clothes, clean socks, some MREs, just things to get us through like the first couple days of an emergency situation. But I think the zombie apocalypse is kind of the, um, you know, this fictitious scenario that most likely, even in my book, I believe it's a possibility. In my book, I think it starts with um, the Iranian government um, using uh, infected human beings and sending them to different parts of the United States on a plane to then infect the populace without even having to use one uh, soldier of their own to set foot on U.S. soil. That's kind of how everything starts and then it goes from there. But I mean, you just, you don't know what could happen and that's the truth and you should be prepared because you do want to be able to find your loved ones if anything would ever hit the fan. It's just smart. It's smart to be prepared. Yeah, what's what's really interesting is, uh, I think, 2016 i think it was like i think that was the year like the cdc uh they want they 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 did this exercise um where they released a briefing about how to survive or how to prepare for a zombie apocalypse yeah and and uh yes it's very tongue-in-cheek but a lot of the strategies they outlined is the same type of strategies you would do in case of a super massive storm or earthquake or natural disaster like you know, have a bug up bag have a meeting point um um uh like rules and guidelines on how to safely travel in various ways and uh even um yeah so i think i think uh, it, zombies are for entertainment but they you can take real real really valuable and uh life lessons and life strategies from it absolutely guys you're 100 percent right i think that the idea of a zombie apocalypse is a little bit far-fetched but i think the idea of a legitimate apocalypse especially with where we are now that could fucking happen we don't we have no idea and i think that that is i think that also ties into the movies we watched for this it's the unknowing it's not knowing and i think that that scares people the most into showing you who they really are in a situation like that yep because the i mean that comes out you know when you're faced with some kind of dire situation it doesn't matter if you're Susie sunshine at work or you know johnny every guy your base you know, the basis parts of your, your, your soul and your persona will come out when you're tested in a survival situation. And some people are just, you know, they're going to be pretty nasty if there was ever some kind of catastrophe like that. Like that CEO that pushed other people exactly, out of the way. Exactly. Oh. He convinced an entire car of people that a, a group of people who fought for their lives to get to this car that they were infected, couldn't be trusted, and that they should be quarantined off. And then subsequently, because of his actions, got the rest of the people in his car killed. Because you pissed off the wrong old lady who had to save her sister and let all the zombies in. So, you know, you really really get to know who people are in a crisis situation. And I think that that is 
if you don't know who who you're going to be in that situation, that you're you're not really going to survive, are you? You're not going to be. Well, and I think we we all like to think that we are good people and that we would do the right thing. We all like to think that we would be, uh, you know, the 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 really um impressive muscular guy who's on the train and you know he's he's blocking the door after he's been bitten he's telling his pregnant wife to go and we all like to think we would be him because you know he's the one everybody loves he's the hero in the story but at the end of the day you have to ask yourself you know your kid's hungry would you steal would you kill would you you know maybe do some of these things that you would never want to think of yourself doing and I'll be honest I like to think of myself as is trying to help um, other people just because, you know, my beliefs, my faith, you know, we're told to be um, good Christ-like examples while we're here on this earth. So I would like to think that I would still do that even in a cat- catastrophic situation. But you just, it's hard to say, like if someone was, was you know, it's either my child or my husband or my mom and this other person having food and I had, to, I don't know what I would do. I'll be honest. I, I think about it a lot, but I don't really know who I would be. I would love to see the search history on your computer. <laughs> just for just for the conversation. Like, mine is all, like, dead bodies and, like, forensic <laughs> whatever. And I'm just, I feel myself, like, shouting into the void of my computer. No, I'm not a homicidal <laughs> sociopath. I like to write. And this is what, you know. I would love to see what your search history is. Oh, my gosh. Like. Mine is, like, Jesus, like, inspirational verses, and then, like, zombies, like, trying yes. to figure out how to describe it. It's all over the place, I'll be honest. And, and, and Star Wars and Punisher <laughs> yeah. on the Wars, side. Yes, Chris, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I definitely have a, a diverse interest, I guess, in, in many different things. But, um, yeah, I just, I'm just fascinated with that. And I think that my characters in my books emulate a lot of, you know, the questions that people kind of have for themselves and what they would do. And um, a lot of people disagree with some of the decisions that my my main characters make. Um, the demises of a lot of the characters, some of it. I mean, it's, it's not a feel-good book. And now I think that the second book is a little lighter. The first book is just really, really dark. The Undoing is dark. And even there's a scene at the end that um, I think a lot of people had uh, problems reading because it, it's it's hard. I mean, one of the characters who's very sweet, very innocent, she suffers a terrible fate and um it's very detailed the way I write it it, it, I'm very detailed and uh so yeah it's just and I'm not afraid to kill off my characters that's another thing I think some some person once said that uh this author clearly doesn't have a problem killing off her characters and I don't um you know I I kind of like wasn't Stephen uh King that said kill your darlings you have to don't kill be your babies. To do it. Yeah. 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 Like, don't yeah. be afraid to do that. Yeah, exactly. Because if it drives a story, now I don't want to do it just to do it, but I do like the quick, you know, whoa, whoa, wait, who just died? You know, it's, I like that. And I like, you know, creating these very um, relatable characters and, and just seeing what I can do to them with them. Um, so that's, those are some of the, the, the feedback. I've gotten over the the last couple of years and it's just really interesting. I love when people get really fired up about my character's decisions. I love it. I love it. Well, it's 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 you're 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 writing from your imagination, your heart and you know, you have a very clear connection to the story and the characters and 
Um, even though it's, I, you're creating a dialogue and, and and you're creating feedback and you're you're, you're establishing connection with your readers and I th- it's it's all very organic and it's also again it's, it's super fun just to debate and talk uh, about um, characters and stories and stuff like that and I, I think that's just, it's just a wonderful thing as a not just as an author just as a creator itself just to hear and appreciate not someone who who is profoundly affected by your work uh whether it's uh maybe whether if they disagree or agree i think it's i think it's just altogether a plus that they're engaging themselves with your work absolutely yep makes me happy um so we're getting close to time is there anything that you want to tell our dreadful audience like uh, tips about being a self-publishing writer or tips about being a survivalist or uh, any, any, any last thoughts? Uh, let me think. So I would say, hmm, I mean, I could go on and on about both of those topics, but I won't because I know we're short on time. But I would just say, um, you know, if you ever do decide that you want to write a book, uh, utilize those the experiences and the advice of people who have already done that before you. And um, like I said, have that network of, of published authors who, you know, whether they're self-published, traditional published or hybrids, you know, utilize that and, um, and definitely be willing to help, you know, once you're an author, be willing to help other people, you know, and, and remember how you felt when you were first writing and, you know, all of the, um, the questions and maybe the insecurities and the challenges that you went through in that, that, that stage, um, where you were just trying to, to get pen to paper, just remember that and and always be willing to hand to help others. And I know that for my readers, um, I make myself readily available if anyone ever has any questions or, you know, needs me to point them to an editor or a cover artist or, um, you know, a formatter, even if they need help with, you know, just going through kind of a plot and talking it out, I like to make myself available for that. But, um, yeah, definitely just, uh, check out my author page. I write under the pen name Angelique Archer, um, just for, you know, professional reasons. I like to keep work life and writing life separate, but, um, yeah, it's honestly, Chris and and both of you guys have been so gracious and uh it's really been an honor to be on this podcast i'm excited oh thanks yay, yay. I, and uh starla you're like the perfect first guest host like when ryan Aww. and i were we were talking about uh like our 10th anniversary episode we wanted we were uh really want, we really wanted to do a guest episode and we're like i know that the, the two most perfect people starla and josh and Josh is too cool, did, but you're, he you're did. to be here. But you're you're way cooler than and that's why you're Thank on the show. Thank you, right? yeah. Chris. I am. <laughs> no, seriously, you two, um, were, he... you two were the first names he brought up, and I said I Aww. I didn't even need him to explain why because I I could feel him ramping up for an explanation, and I was like, no, Aww. done, perfect. Oh, so, you guys are so sweet. Yeah, we we are just so honored that you know you guys invited us to do this, and Josh reiterated that he will be available for. You know, the next time you guys want to discuss movies, he loves movies um, probably more than I do. And um, is always just immersed in the, the world of movie reviews. So, you know, keep both of us in mind. We would love to, to be guests on your, your podcast again in the future. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And uh, for all your Driffles out there, if you want to pick up uh, Starla or Angelique Archer's book, it's <laughs> called The Good, The Dead, and the Lawless, The Undoing. Uh, it's available in paperback and Kindle. So you can go, it's available on Amazon um, at uh, amazon.com slash good slash dead or dash lawless undoing uh we will provide uh links to the amazon page in the show notes uh you can also find starla or her author page on facebook if you type in angelique or angelique archer author uh you can find her and we'll also post that in the show notes yeah awesome and i'll post this on my uh my author page as well and i'm sure a lot of my readers would really enjoy to tune into your podcast so that would be awesome Yay! Yay! Excellent. <laughs> All right. So this was our super, super amazing episode with Starla, our extraordinaire writer, uh, survivalist, and zombie <laughs> enthusiast. Uh, we, had, we had a great conversation about Train to Busan and Soul Station. Um, just all, like, all the amazing South Korean zombie horror stuff. Um uh, Ryan, what can we look forward to for for next time? So our next episode, I don't know how we're going to top this one, but our next episode is all about anthologies. So we're going to be looking at Creepshow and XX from 2017. So two very different anthology series, but I can't wait to do it. That sounds really cool. That sounds really, really neat. And Josh is really into anthologies too. So I think there's a couple that we've watched in like the last year. I'll ask him and then check back in with you guys um, to rec- yeah. just to recommend things for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, talk yeah. about it. And uh, yeah, so, um, so now you know what we're doing for our next episode. So now you have no excuse. So uh, so yeah, tune in and, and binge, binge those movies and tune in for that next episode. And uh, R- Ryan, wh- where can our, our new dreadfuls find us uh, on, the, on the interwebs? Or You can find us on the interwebs. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter. You can find us everywhere. We also still have a bunch of free shit we want to give everybody. So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. And then DM us literally anywhere with your address so that we can give you our free awesome stickers that we have. Because if we can hand some of those off to some people, then we can get new and different merch and and we can give you guys that too. So don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes, and um, we are we we host on SoundCloud, but you can find us anywhere where you listen to podcasts. So iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. Um, like Ryan said, if you listen to our show, uh, please review us on that platform, but especially iTunes. iTunes is super important. They are the end all be all. Be all. So give us five stars. Give us a rating. Constructive criticism and feedback. And if you have any ep- ideas for uh, future episodes like we're open to that too we just want to talk to you guys we love you all cool uh so thank you again so much starla uh thank you guys and uh, maybe don't take the train next time i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I don't just stay, stay home stay. just stay home stay home. <laughs> yeah, stay home buddies for life <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you dreadfuls have a good one